0: The one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of the sales leaders that have a sales process, but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out ExVoyant today. The ExVoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep will drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals and impact your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. We're excited to announce the release of the Exvoyant Sales Leadership eBook. This book features secrets of some of the world's greatest sales leaders. You'll be introduced to coaching tactics, the building blocks of high growth, and other insights you can apply to help how you lead your team. This book is free, no strings attached. So head to xvoyant.com, download the book, read it, and share it today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by my friend Adam Clark, Director of Sales for Repay. Repay is a fintech term with a mission to tear down debt repayment barriers by leveraging technology and consumer habits. They make it possible for businesses to provide user-friendly repayment journeys, reduce delinquency rates, and develop really measurable customer satisfaction. Adam's team is driving market-beating growth, and Adam is becoming quite the fixture at sales conferences and showing up on podcasts all over the place. I'm excited to share this guy's story with everyone here today. I'm super excited to have him join us. Adam, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hey, Rob, it is, uh, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm a huge fan of yours, a uh, huge fan of everything you've got to say, your company, explained it. You're doing some awesome stuff. Um, it's been a great journey getting to know you these last few months. And, uh, like I said, it's an honor to be here.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to this. I, I knew that we had to have you on the show because not only are you, uh, do I, I, love your, your point of view and your perspective on coaching. We're going to talk a lot about that today, but, uh, you are, also, an appreciative of good music, you, you and I hung out uh, at a Metallica concert together uh, with about a hundred thousand of our closest friends. Right?
1: Uh, absolutely, one of my most, one of my top concert experiences in my life so far. I'd seen Metallica previous to that, but it was a surprise to me. I had no idea they were playing until I arrived in San Francisco and started hearing the scuttlebutt about who was going to be showing up. And uh, to share that with you, man, it was—I'll uh, never forget that. It was a great time.
0: Good times, man. Good times for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. So for people, I always want to start. I want people, I want you to introduce our listeners to Repay. You guys do a, provide a really cool service. I'd like our, our listeners to kind of understand who you're with and, and where you fit and, and what you're doing uh, right now with, with the sales team that you lead.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that opportunity. So uh, Repay, like you said the, at the outset, is a, is a financial technology firm. And we really do skate that line between the finance side of our business, which is payment processing and, and traditional merchant processing and the technology, which are the front end user interfaces and user experiences that we market to, uh, to other businesses. So we're a B2B firm, but our goal is to facilitate an experience change for their customers. So we want to give our merchants the ability to enhance the financial relationship between their firms and their customers um, and we do so through technology through mobile technology and and through a lot of um, you know kind of the, the, the demographic preferences that are happening in the marketplace right now
0: okay so that's an interesting that's an interesting space that you're in and you're solving I love how you say it's a thin line that you skate I'm, I'm <laughs> excited as we get into that there's probably some really interesting uh, sales challenges that are associated with be- that given the thin line that you see is that, is that probably a fair statement
1: That is that you nailed it. Uh, the sales challenges are are, are are major and the big sales challenge comes from transitioning what is traditionally a very commoditized price-driven uh, transactional sales process in the merchant processing area to much more of a consultative solutions based uh, partnership within technology and and learning how to marry those the right way and, and to get into conversations where someone traditionally wants to drive right down the price in this, and like I said, highly uh, transactional commoditized payment processing world, pulling that conversation back, teaching my reps how to have those technology-based conversations and solutions-based conversations is a challenge I face every day.
0: Well, we're going to hit that one because um, that's a really common question that I know I get from uh, sales leaders, especially sales leaders that have not been in that transactional of a sale, the idea of, of how do you sell with value rather than price. We'll make sure we talk about that a little bit today because you certainly have some expertise that I think others will be interested in. But before we get into the nuts and bolts or the, the meat of our conversation, my man, I always love having people share their story of how did you get into sales because you have a really unique uh, entry to sales. In fact, Your journey is unlike any of the ones that I've ever been introduced to. And I think our listeners will get a kick out of how you got into sales.
1: Awesome. Um, So uh, when we were were preparing for this, uh, you you made a comment about my journey. And and I hate to hate to disappoint that notion, notion, but I actually did get straight out of college and got into sales in the finance industry. And it wasn't until a little later in my career where I made a massive left turn and then ended up making another right turn after that back into the sales world, which led me to my current leadership spot. So, I'll kind of start from the beginning. Um, <laughs> when I when I got out of school, I started uh, selling within the insurance and finance space uh, for a, a company. It's a, it's a small company. Some have heard of it. Uh, AIG started selling for them. <laughs> Little
0: company. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I, I had some had some success with them in the insurance space. I ended up going independent for a couple of years, uh, helping a small firm in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, uh, build out their their life insurance market. Uh, and then I transitioned to into banking. And it was right around that time that uh the major the major stock market issues started happening there were some issues internally with the organization i was with um and i made a decision with my family to get out of the public or out of the private sector and transition to the public sector and i became a law enforcement officer so i joined a local agency and did patrol work for about 14 months went through uh went through a, a pretty rigorous academy field training uh, was on the streets and then transitioned to um transitioned to some more regional uh, investigative type work primarily in the uh, pharmaceutical fraud space, um, and then after that, um, after that very interesting tenure where, um, you know, it's, it, it's not for everybody, but i tell you, if anyone decides to do it, um, thank you for your dedication, and you will learn a lot about people, I can promise you that, um, but after that, the, uh, like I say, the siren song of sales, mainly paychecks and free time, called me uh, back into the space, and so I started working with a group that managed clinical research trials and ultimately landed at Repay due to a family relationship. Um, My younger brother had been with the company for quite a few years. I've been watching him uh, grow his career and watching the company grow along with him. And uh, when the opportunity presented itself, I jumped all over it.
0: So... um any uh, any lessons that you can share with the salespeople? Any, any lessons from law enforcement that relate to sales or sales leadership? <laughs> or is there, is there none? Is it just completely different? Or any any, any uh, lessons learned from that?
1: There are a tremendous amount of lessons learned from it, Rob. We could probably fill several hours talking about that, um, actually. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, try and hit the, I'll try and hit the high give spot. One. I just one. Sound, yeah, just give uh, one. Just one. one. I'm The importance of training. And training all the time, as often as possible in the most real world scenarios that you can possibly come up with. So getting in the, uh, getting into scenarios that are as close to what a real sales call is going to be like, you know, if you're, if you're the type of salesperson that likes to walk in front doors and work your way into a boardroom, then you need to be role playing with your sales team in those exact same scenarios, just like you'd be doing it in a real world call. Damn. Um, I cannot, yeah. Can't stress the importance of training, you never know what you're going to run into, so um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in statistical analysis, so if you think about the normal curve, you're always going to run into outliers, but predominantly you're going to get the same kind of stuff over and over again. So being prepared for that lion's share of outcomes and training when those line share of outcomes, so it's muscle memory, you're going to take care of 7 to 8 out of 10 things you're going to run across, and you're going to be pretty well prepared to take care of the other two when those outliers do pop up.
0: That's a good lesson, my man. I like that. There's, I can't wait to. You need to make like, uh, like a book an ebook around uh, the lessons from law enforcement that prepared you to be a world class <laughs> sales leader. That, that's a good one. I like it.
1: That, that's an that's, that's an idea, man. I might have to take that one from you.
0: Yeah, take it, take it and run. So one of the, my favorite things about you is you have this passion for coaching. You, know, you like it's interesting. The very first thing you said, lessons from law enforcement as it relates to sales. You immediately went to sales leadership. And, and you talked about training and, and learning to play with live bullets instead of firing Blanks, which I really thought that was insightful. Um, where does that come from? I mean, wh- you got this passion for coaching and, and almost every, cusp, uh, not customer, uh, almost every, uh, guest we have on the show goes to coaching at some point. It's really part of how you define yourself is I've gotten to know you as a leader. Uh, the first thing you always are going to is, is coaching and, and developing people more than the pursuit of quota. That's one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned as I've gotten to know you a little bit. Where does that come from? Can you start to share a little bit about your coaching philosophy and, and how you've developed that and, and what makes it work for you at Repay?
1: Sure. Um, so my, my personal coaching philosophy has come from a, a life of, of athletic pursuits. So I've, I've played sports my entire life. Uh, obviously, in athletic pursuits, you're Um, you're, you're being coached all the time and I've had great experiences and I've had really poor experiences. And when I sit and reflect on, uh, my time in my athletic pursuits, leading all the way up to my professional pursuits, the times that, that someone took the time to get one on one with me, to explain things to me, to help me understand, uh, you know, what the reasoning were for some of the things that I was doing to really help me understand if I, if I step a certain way as an offensive lineman. You know, there's a result of that step. So maybe if I change my step in a different way, I can change that eventual outcome of how I can, you know, successfully make that block And instead of just looking at me and demanding that I get it right to take the time and, you know, help me understand why I need to get it right. Um, you know, that, that set the foundation for why I believe coaching is so important. Uh, and then really just throughout my professional career, getting incredibly comfortable with the idea that businesses do not do business with other businesses. People do business with people, salespeople sell to clients that are people. And it doesn't matter if they have the largest company in the world behind them. It's still a group of people that you're interacting with. And so developing those people, developing the way that they develop relationships with other people is going to get you a lot further in your sales pursuits. It's going to get you a lot further in your personal pursuits. And everything that you do, if you, if you always remember that there's a person on the other end of this transaction. And, and you have to develop everything you do from, from that foundation. Uh, and, and naturally, one-on-one coaching and spending time in detailed steps expands that tremendously.
0: So the reason that I'm so interested in this, Adam, is, is the 80-20 rule is just so alive and well. And tons and tons of sales leaders feel like as long as I'm hitting goal, I'm good. And if 20% of my people getting to goal, uh, hits me, so the team hits goal, I've won. You and me have had that conversation because we've shared, I've shared some other things with you. You actually have told me in a conversation that in your mind, if only 22% of your people are hitting goal, there's just no definition that makes that a win. How do you, how do you help sales leaders? I mean, we just, Kind of wired that way because a lot of my sales leaders that I work with are like, "Hey, man, as long as I'm hitting goal, get out of my way." Any thoughts around what's made you look at the world a lot differently than that? So, um, I don't, I don't
1: know where it really came from. It's kind of been something. If I if I sit and reflect on it, I've, I've felt this way my whole life. But I've always had this question everything kind of an outlook. Um, and especially when someone is telling me, "Hey, this is the way it needs to be done," because it's always been done that way that's a red flag for me to maybe try and find a better way to do something or a different way to do something. Hmm. And I think that uh, a, the reason why a lot of people believe that the eighty twenty rule is fine. And Hey, if, you know, if these people are hitting quotas, just get out of the way. Um, I, I think that's honestly just years and decades and centuries of, of, of the same kind of thought process about sales. And it's the mentality that hitting quota is successful, which I guess depending on how you define it could be true. But the way that I feel about quota is this is your minimum, this is your minimum required uh, production to keep your job. And if you can hit quota, that's great. You've done enough to stay employed. Now what are you doing to truly be successful?
0: So what would you say the primary role of a sales leader is? I'm, I'm super interested now. Now that you're saying that and, uh, and we're starting to get into a couple of different things here. If I was to say primary role of a sales leader is you would say what?
1: primary role of a sales leader is to do everything in their power day in and day out to make sure that their team can be as successful as possible as often as possible in every single activity that they take on during their sales day. So from the moment they get up in the morning and open up the CRM to the first call all the way to signatures on the biggest enterprise deal of their life, that sales leader needs to make sure that everything is easy for them as much as possible. So give them the best tools, make sure they have the best training, help them understand what it means to convert that one or two extra calls during the day, help them understand how important it is that they spend the lion's share of their time on the right high value activities. Those are the kind of things that sales leadership needs to be responsible for. And the reason why is because sales leadership can take a 10,000 foot view of the whole team. and can start to look at these different things where if you're in sales, you're in personal production. You are laser focused on what you need to do to accomplish those goals and the emotions that you experience and the things that you go through while working those individual deals can vary widely. And you know, you might get a feeling based on a couple of different things that take place in a deal that you need to chase this one. And in chasing this one, you end up losing focus on some of the other high value activities that you were pretty good about doing on a regular basis and the long term effects that that'll have on your production can really put you in a bad spot down the road. So leadership being aware of those trends and of those possible pitfalls and helping their team avoid them, I think is the most important role of a sales leader.
0: Mm, I like it. That's good. I, I found that what a person has as their role perception drives their definition of the high and low value activities, which then drives how you spend your time and what tools you use. But so it's always interesting to me to say, what is the role of a sales leader? That's, a, I like that answer. That's a good answer. So given that answer and what, and what you think the role of that sales leader is, I love this. You may have talked about this. I have some insight to where you're going to go with it, but what makes up that blueprint for being a successful sales leader who can actually deliver on that role you just talked about is, are there a few non-negotiables to? Do? or non-negotiables that you've got to prioritize above all others as a sales leader that we can share with our listeners that might help them as they work on their leadership blueprint?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's, that's a, that's a fantastic transition question, Rob. Um, So, you know, the first non-negotiable in my opinion is, is a heart for service. Uh, Sales leadership and sales are, even though a lot of people kind of conflate the two are entirely different practices. Uh, Sales leadership is a very unselfish, uh, outward looking service position where sales is a very selfish, laser focused, you know, you have to be an absolute, you know, dominating force over your time and your own activity, um, type of position. So selfish, unselfish, you know, sales versus sales leadership. So you have to have a service mentality and be willing to do whatever it takes to ensure success of your team. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's
0: I, I, pause on that. Let's pause. I don't want to just, I don't okay. want to. Let's pause. So that's a really interesting answer. The servant leader mentality. I get it. I like it. How do you know someone has that? How do you develop that? Can that be developed? Can it be, I mean, how do you identify that, man? Because I imagine that, you know, people say, oh yeah, uh, I'm here to serve, but it's once you're a leader, man, you are no longer judged by what you do. You are judged by the collective efforts of others. So how do you develop that attitude?
1: Uh, I think there's a certain amount of that that has to be innate in a person. So that I don't know if that's something that can necessarily be coached. I mean, I've seen, um, correction, just about anything can be coached, um, to a degree, but I I don't know if that's something that can be developed as strongly as one might hope. So you got to have a little bit of that, I think, to begin with, You just have to be oriented towards others.
0: So let me Um, ask you this. Should some people just say, uh, I should stay away from the sales leader job and I should stay in an individual contributor should some just have that kind of awareness
1: a hundred percent and the sales leadership and leadership of organizations need to know when to sometimes make that decision for people
0: hmm. really good sorry to interrupt you um, i
1: think yeah no, no that's because, okay if it's,
0: <laughs> if, if it's innate man, then that means you better be good at spotting it right
1: right right um i think i think that uh, there are some things you can look for you know when you're in it and a lot of it's a lot of it's not something necessarily so you can slap a metric on, um, you know, with the relational aspects of it, you know, how willing is one sales rep to split commissions with another sales rep to help get the deal closed? How willing are they to take on mentoring a new sales rep? You know, how engaged are they in those kind of processes? You know, if you've got a top salesperson who will spend an extra 10 hours a week, mentoring a brand new sales rep and helping them push deals across the line and not asking for anything in return, you know, that would probably be a really strong indicator that they have some service, some deep-seated service qualities about them.
0: like it. All right, so that's the first non-negotiable. You better have that heart for service. You better be willing to be a mentor. Uh, you better be a developer of, pers- of people rather than just uh, a drill sergeant is the way I'm interpreting what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like it. Absolutely. What else?
1: Uh, the second non-negotiable would be you have to have a, a student mentality about the game you're playing. Um, This this sales game is ever changing. It is always in flux. There's always new players. There's always new new technology, new methodology. Um, So being a student who can absorb all of it, process all of it, understand how it might apply to your world and your team and then when applicable, make it available to them and give them that tool and, and do so in a way that takes into account your team makeup how your team receives information, what's the best way to train them, what's the best way to get this new technique in front of them and make it the most successful for them. I think um, there's a lot of pressure because of the availability of content, because of how easy it is to access it. I think there's a lot of pressure on sales leaders to be original about everything. I think they come to the place and they're like, oh, i got to come up with my own really savvy way of doing things. I, I don't subscribe to that at all. I, I think that there are brilliant people out there who figured some you included in that, Rob who have figured these things out and who understand how important they are and have put in the time, the only thing I really need to be original and brilliant on is how it applies to my team. Mm-hmm. I can take your methodology and just figure out how it applies to my team and we can be wildly successful with it. I don't I don't have to reinvent the wheel off my, myself. I just need to figure out which wheel fits my car.
0: Okay, so first of all, thank you for the compliment. You're far too kind. I appreciate it. Um, but second of all, you just nailed what I think is a hot spot. Now everyone that's driving in the car or on the treadmill or walking the dog right now, listen to this. This is important or where we're gonna start to dive down now. I just I just had um Kevin Hart, uh VP of sales for Challenger on the show, and he brought the same point up, Adam, that too many sales leaders, they have what was right like at a moment in time. You know, at a mm-hmm. moment in time, it was right and it worked a year ago, six months ago, five years ago, whatever it is. But they get, mm-hmm. they grab hold to these things that are comfortable and they grab hold of these things that are their ideas. And I see a lot of them like they dig in their heels and say, this is how we do things. Uh, mm-hmm. Question. Why do you think so many sales leaders, uh, put too much, uh, into originality of ideas? And second, what are some best practices to help people <clears throat> adopt that student mentality? Because I think you're on to something big. Yeah.
1: Um, if I were to speculate as to why, uh, you know, people grab hold of that, um, I, I think that there is attractiveness in, you know, being recognized out in the circles and, and being someone who's, who's uh, you know, touted for that. So, I mean, let's just call it like it is. I think it's a bit of an ego play. I think that Fair. every, you know, every sales leader has that, um, has that desire to be top of the geek. And so they want their name out there. Fair. Um, you know, I, I have that, I'm not going to lie into that. I'm not excited to, you know, to be out there about it. I've seen so many incredible people come across your podcast that I'm just I'm like, wow, this is going to be awesome to see my name up there with that group. Hmm. But, um, so, so there's I think there's a bit of an ego piece in it. And then, um, to you know to adopt the student mentality i mean if if you're in this game you you need to develop a bit of a passion for it if, i don't think you can do sales leadership without having some some piece of you that's really really passionate about developing people and developing leadership and winning through your team and so you got you have to start there and then the second thing is learn where to absorb content learn how to absorb content that is going to uh going to be the most impactful for you and then like i said coupling it with what you know to be true about your team. What does your team makeup look like? How do they respond to training? And what is the best way for me to take this awesome nugget that I'm learning about and turn it into something actionable for my team? Because you might run into a situation where you absorb something and it makes perfect sense to you, but then your translation to the team, and I'm, I'm speaking from 100% experience on this one. And okay. you try to translate that into something actionable for your team, it falls flat and, and is not successful and they miss the mark on it, and then you're sitting there going, what in the happened? I had this really great thing, but upon reflection, it was in your delivery of it. It was in how you presented it to the team. You didn't, you know, I didn't take enough time to understand, you know, my team makeup and how what would, what would be the most impactful way to deliver this to them. Do I need to start it slow? Do I need to take one or two reps aside who I know will be really uh, open to this and let them start and then prove the model to the other team through the data and, and, and you know the proof in the pudding type, type of work?
0: So this is such an important thing, man. We we work so hard to build our sales process and have our sales training and have our enablement and our, 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 hour all the time. Mm-hmm. Man, so I I'm I'm thinking there's like at least four or five implications to what you're talking about about always being curious, always being learning, always being a student. I, I think you're man, you're dead on. Um any recommendations on on how you work to be actively proactive in keeping uh, in alignment with how things are being done in your market, rather than reacting after things change? And any suggestions on how you stay current with that?
1: Um, so, are you speaking specifically to the market that, like, your your specific market you're selling in, or just yeah. sales practice as a whole? Because now we're now we are also looking at to um, you know, there's 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 product expertise and market expertise, but then there's sales expertise, which is a, a discipline all in itself.
0: Which underscores right. the importance um, of the question. Actually, the fact that you, de- that you delineated that tells me why it's so important. You're right. Sales is mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. your daddy's. It's not. I used to say it's not your daddy's sales role anymore. It's not even your big sister's it's sales not. anymore. It's changing that fast. Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: it changes daily. Yeah.
0: yeah. It changes so, daily.
1: Uh, so
0: what used to work, I mean, if you're still doing what you were doing before, like even six months later it might be waiting too long sometimes. Or, or am I wrong?
1: No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's a, uh, I, I love, I like to refer to sales as, a, as an iterative sport. So it is an absolutely iterative sport. You need to be constantly changing up your process. You need to be constantly changing up your talk track, how you present information. Uh, you need to be testing these things, gathering data, being very data driven and how you're, you're approaching, you know, your different, your different methodologies, not being so married to one thing because every, everything is going to work to some extent. You know, even, even the worst processes and the worst things, you might win you a, a little bit, but you need to start every single day working toward that, you know, working towards that excellence win rate. You know, what's, what's your definition of success? Do I want my guys winning 40, 50, 60% of the time? All right. Well, if I'm only winning 25% of the time, why would I just be sit around and be happy with that if ultimately I need to get better? So what are tiny little steps I can take today? Today, let's focus on improving our cold calls. All right. So. Um, you know, let's start there and start working up. I think I'm, I think I'm getting off into a rabbit hole, but to come uh, back to your question.
0: I like it. I like where you went. I'm gonna <laughs> come back to my question, but I got other questions now. This is really good. Uh,
1: so to make sure that you are staying on top of these things is probably one of the second most important things that I learned from law enforcement coming into, um, coming into sales. And really, it, it, I, I started to touch on this early in my sales career, but after my time in law enforcement, I really, I realized how absolutely paramount it is. Um, right up there with training is discipline in your attack. So you need to time block. If you're in sales today and you're not time blocking yourself to make sure your highest value activities happen first and that 60 to 70% of your day is spent on sales, new business driving activities. If you're not doing that, you are, you're not where you need to be. And you absolutely should stop what you're doing, get a time block calendar. And what I typically do is print off a calendar with, you know, 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night. I'll get a week's worth. I'll take a red pen and I'll put in red anything that can't move throughout my day. So if I take my kids to school at 8 a.m., I block that off in red. If I have lunch with my wife at one, I block that off in red. If I'm, if I'm attending church at three o'clock on Wednesday, whatever it is, you block that off in red. And then the rest of your time you fill in and pencil and get it just right. And then you, and then you make it, you make it your calendar. You make that your calendar and you stick to it with, with absolute fervor and laser focus so that every single day you're prospecting for a minimum amount of time. Every single day you're doing your, your follow ups a certain amount of time. You're chasing certain parts of your pipeline. You're, you're doing your administrative work and then be so laser focused that you don't find yourself responding to internal emails within your prime call window during the day and then include study in that time block. It's the only way to do it every single day is include study. So if you have found time, I commute 30 minutes every day to work. So I've got an hour of found time for me to absorb content every single day. So I have my Audible ready to go. I have my podcast of the day ready to go. And I, and I hit those all the time. And what I'll do is have my phone. We've got this great technology. So if I hear a great note, I'll record a quick voice recording of something to follow up and take a note later to make sure I absorb it. Um, oh, so just good study habits and being disciplined with your time.
0: So when you're a coach then, does a lot of what you're doing as a coach, are you, are you helping your reps, uh, do that very same thing, time blocking what they do as well?
1: Yes. Um, yes. Part of, part of what I do with my reps is is have them do their own time block calendar, um, review it with them and, and help them make sure that they're, they're optimizing that, uh, every single day. And then using tools, uh, we're an outreach shop crowd outreach shop so you know we use we use tools such as them to identify optimal call windows optimal email windows and then slowly working through the whole team to make sure that calendars are optimized to take advantage of that data
0: so there's like two questions man we aren't even getting into the rest i can't believe how fast time's going i knew this was going to (laughs) happen with you adam i just i love your perspective and it's making me ask more questions well uh, the first question i want to ask is As you work with, and I think this is really relevant for every sales leader, because I agree with your time blocking. Let me share my experience. I want you to respond. Tell me, you know, do how's your how's your experience different? How would you what would you add to? I found that for salespeople, one of the best things I can do is in that time blocking world. You know, if if the answer is just go prospect today, that's a really shitty way to coach someone, because all day that's a really rough day. But what if I say this hour I'm I'm prospecting these types of customers with this uh, persona. And then, you know, then I take a Mm -hmm. break and then the next hour I'm doing this. I can do anything for 45 minutes to an hour, right? Any, any sense on like what makes for high energy, all in type time blocking before I go on to the the following question to that?
1: I think that that is an absolutely wonderful question. And I can, I can answer that in one word. So specificity and you already, you've already laid that out specificity and what you're going to do during those time blocks is the most important thing. Don't be vague in your time blocks. Don't just, you know, don't set up an hour for prospecting. Like you said, set up an hour for prospecting a certain type of thing you wish to accomplish. You know, if you, if you only prospect CEOs, you know, maybe prospect CEOs mid to late week because the first part of their week is probably a little busier. So let's set up to prospect CEOs on Thursday. Um, or, or you know, then that's just, oh I'm just yeah. that's just no. conjecture. But Great um, but specificity is key. Yes. Yes. Specificity is key. Be granular with it. Really dig into it. Um, and, and that comes from, you know, obviously you have to have, and I, 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 we may be getting into your next question without even knowing it, but you have to have some things in place to take advantage of the massive amounts of data that are out there. So you, you've got to have some ability to analyze what's happening and what's working and what's not.
0: That was my next question process. by the way. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> All right.
1: all right lay it on me lay it on me.
0: finish where you are because there's plenty of time to talk about metrics and measurements that's important part of this interview right conversation we're having but but yeah man i'm with you i you know break it up i love the word specificity it's a good word because it could be persona it could be message it could be Mm -hmm. market break it up you know Mm -hmm. and have some fun with it and 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 really get after it for 45 minutes take a 15 minute break and then share what you learned right Absolutely. And you may be
1: lucky enough to be working in an organization that you only have one product line and you have one ideal customer profile you're targeting. But that is so rare anymore. And everyone's always looking for the next opportunity to penetrate a different target market, to penetrate a different demographic level or to open up a new product line. So you're in your sales journey. If you haven't, you very 100 percent, you will at some point if you stay in the game, you're going to find yourself in a multiple customer profile, multiple product line type of a scenario. And you can no longer just willy nilly throw darts at the target. You've got to start being very
0: specific. That's really good. So that does set up the next, the next thing I wanted to talk about. I can't believe how fast time is going. Um, I'm sure your perception. Here's my, my next thing. Again, my perspective. Uh, great sales teams and great sales leaders run to metrics, average to below Mm -hmm. average run from them. If you're not running two measurement points, the best you can be is average, is my point of view. Uh, What's your perspective on that, and how does that match into time blocking and and this whole A-B testing thing that you've been talking about?
1: I agree with that every single letter of everything you just said. I'm 100% in that camp with you. Um, If you can't measure it, and you can't measure it accurately and take some sort of insights from those measurements, you just don't know enough about what you're doing. Um that's 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 all there is to it if you, if you're not willing to measure it, you're not very good at it um and then when you measure it and realize you're not very good at it, that's the only way you can get better at it is by measuring it so I agree with that thousand percent
0: um any any that, ways that you can help salespeople realize that because I think as leaders. Uh, it's funny, I was talking, it's it's really funny. I was talking to my parents the other day. It's like, you know what? I was not grateful enough to you guys growing up. I said that to them just the other day. and They laughed and they said, yeah, we still find ourselves saying the same thing about our parents the same way. But I, I had a salesperson come up to me and say, I never realized the importance of metrics until I really <laughs> got into the leadership job. And then I wish I'd taken it more seriously as an individual. Mm-hmm. How can a sales leader help sales people realize Metrics are not about Big Brother. They are not about micromanagement. It's not about Mm -hmm. keeping our thumb on you. How do you How do you help them do that?
1: That is one hundred percent coaching, Rob. And I know that's probably music to your ears to hear somebody say because you know because of, of of your your goals within your organization. And but the coaching is where the rubber meets the road with that. So I can measure something all day long, but let's take revenue for example. Um, and I actually picked this little tidbit up. I got to give credit where credit's due. Um, uh, the, uh, cracking the sales management code, wonderful book.
0: Um, I'm on my third, third read through of it. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. Absolute, absolute stud. And, um, you know, revenue can't be, you you can't do, you can't manage that metric. You can look at that number all day, all you want and holler at it, but it's not going to change. However you can influence it by measuring and managing the activities that generate revenue. So, if you're if you are uh, you know if you're looking at metrics and you're not really sure what to do with them, that's where the coaching part comes into play. And so, as as a rep, if you're afraid of these metrics and you're worried that they're going to be Big Brother, leadership needs to take that opportunity to show that rep what it means when I'm measuring your call volume versus how many you're converting, and what that conversion ratio means for the rest of your pipeline. And if we use conversion ratios and these tiny little metrics, if we use them as levers. And we crank them one way or the other and demonstrating. And sometimes this takes sitting a rep down in front of a whiteboard and walking this all out and and doing all the math with them, having them calculate the numbers and read them out to you and write them on the board and saying, if we can improve this metric, meaning you're calling a hundred people a day, you're only converting 10% of these. If we take this to 15% and then do the math all the way through to eventual closed business and help them understand what just a tiny little bit, of of efforts spent in this one area could mean for their entire sales practice. I think that's where the impact starts. And then knowing what to do as a leader to actual coach and facilitate the change in that. So, um, you know, looking at, all right, what, you know, this conversion metric is here. If I want to leverage the conversion metric of cold call to, you know, let's let's call it discoveries, um, where, you know, I'm cold calling someone and now I have an opportunity to do a deep dive into discovery. Maybe you have an SDR that's setting up meetings and they're trying to convert more cold calls to meetings. What do my talk track sound like? Am I listening to their recorded calls? Am I picking up on things that they're doing in their recording calls that might be turning a prospect on or turning them off? What do my most successful deals look like and sound like compared to my unsuccessful ones? What am I doing well here versus what am I not doing well? And start to put measurements and standards around those things and delivering those to your reps in a digestible way and an actionable way and then giving them a safe place to start to perform changes in these i.e. a role-play environment, a practice, a training facility, if you will. So they're not practicing these things on live clients that could end up costing them hitting their quota. Yeah. If they miss.
0: Yeah, that's good. I I love it. My word for that, you used one word in specificity earlier, the word I'll use to summarize what you just said is individualization. The the better you can be at 100%. individualizing, the more likely that is to happen. So I, I love that, that uh, example you gave. I, I, we're running low on time, dude. And there's like three more things I still want to do, <laughs> so I'm going to go fast. Um, okay. Number one, anything left on your blueprint? You talked about uh, the heart for service, the student mentality, and then we went down a rabbit hole Is there. Like any high-level bullet points to round out your your coaching philosophy before we wrap this thing up?
1: Yes, ownership, 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 100% ownership over everything. So any any person in a leadership position has to own all of it. They have to own the outcomes. They have to own the inputs. If your team is not performing, you need to own that and you need to figure out what to do to change it. If they are not making enough calls, then you have not communicated the importance of that. It's not shown them the effectiveness or how to do that properly. If they're not closing enough business, then somewhere along the line, you've not trained them to close. They're not delivering the value proposition the correct way and it's your responsibility to fix it. Um, So you have to take ownership over every single aspect of what you're
0: doing. That's my favorite part of your blueprint. That is for sure my favorite part of your blueprint. I love that. If more leaders really believed that and didn't pay lip service to that, but really truly owned that, if you'll pardon the pun, I think we'd see a lot higher success (laughs) rates in sales across the board.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, um, it's, it's definitely the path of least resistance to look at things and say, Oh, well that's the reason why I'm not being successful, but it's much harder to find somehow to put it on yourself because you know when you, what i what i've found when i really work to take ownership is i end up finding out there's something there that i can control and there's something there that i can actually do to facilitate improvement um and, and you know because you can only control what you can control and so looking for those opportunities to control something and turn those switches you know bring it back into your world that's the best way to facilitate improvement
0: all right so I love that. That's, that's where we're going to have to stop your blueprint. I'm sure you have more, but we'll give people ways to get a hold of you so they can get, they can get more if they want. Uh, and they Absolutely. will. Okay. Last thing before we start wrapping it up. I really can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. One of my favorite questions to ask guys like you is take the scoreboard away. We already know that the scoreboard matters. We're here to make sure we grow the company. Right? Sure. True or false, right? True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Other than the scoreboard, how, because you're such a coaching freak like me, and that's why I think I like you so much is I, I, I freaking love coaching. How do you know when you're having success as a leader in ways other than what the scoreboard says?
1: Oh man. So that's, a, that's such a good question. And, and um, you know, reflecting on that question, I think would be a really important exercise for anyone in, in a team leadership aspect. So it really, uh, I really start to feel like I have an impact when my reps are are coming to me organically for input on things. Um, you know, when they're coming to me, out of nowhere and saying, "Hey, I think this talk track is 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 maybe not performing as high. Can you help me rework it? Can you help me reword this? Can we set up some time together to change up some of my emailing strategies?" And w- when they're starting to realize the benefits of these things on their own and coming to me for that support, I, I definitely feel like uh, I've arrived, if you will, quote unquote, um, when that kind of stuff starts to happen. If I'm right. on the sales floor and I'm listening, yeah, if I'm listening to a call. And, you know, a ref hangs up the call and they're just juiced and I'm, they're like so excited. And I'm like, oh, man, did you just close a big deal? And they're like, no, I just booked an appointment. But they're so excited because something that we've been working on paid off. Yep. That is incredibly fulfilling for me, too. Um, and that's where I really feel like I'm making an impact on my team.
0: That's a great answer. Okay, so we're going to we're gonna start to wind this thing down the way that we wind everything down. Three things. Number one, um, biggest sales leadership challenge you've seen and, and how did you kind of face that down?
1: Biggest sales leadership challenge is always fighting the status quo. And this goes from, this goes within your organization. There's it. Gonna, there's, <laughs> there, there are going to be things that your company does that it is so ingrained in that you, you're just going to be like, why are we doing things this way? So learning how to do that, learning how to facilitate change in the status quo, that sometimes attacking it head on, you're going to be running into a brick wall. So let's figure out how to flank these things and control, we can control and, and, and make those changes. Um, and not being afraid to, to take it on sometimes, you know, sometimes that, that aggressive approach is what's necessary. So fighting the status quo, both at your company and within your team, salespeople have bad habits. I have bad habits that I have to make a conscious effort to break every single day. Everyone on your team has the same thing. So not, you know, not letting them be rubber bands and making sure you keep the training pressure on so that people don't snap right back after you have a really great training session and they go right back into their old way. Um, and fighting fighting that. If they've had some success with something, they're going to cling to it like a baby in their blanket. If if they want to deal by doing something, even if it was the wrong thing, it just happened to land for that client, they are going to cling to that, and they're going to keep doing it until you train them out of it. So oh, uh, fighting the that. status quo, that's it. Yeah.
0: And that goes to your blueprint that's, of that student mentality. I think here's what I think. I think people, that whole, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I think the, the corollary is, when it breaks, or when it costs us money, or when it starts making us lose, we'll address it then. That's so mm-hmm. short-sighted because you have to lose opportunities before you're going to try to be current. Right. I, I right. love that. I, yeah. yeah, man. So, yeah, was, a really, just have it. courage. Then, is that what it is for you? Is just have enough courage? A little bit. A little bit.
1: One of my favorite. One of my favorite people. Uh, he's a writer, speaker, leadership, uh, leadership expert. Uh, Jocko Willing, former Navy SEAL. If you haven't heard him, go listen to him. He'll he'll. Uh, He'll throw some knowledge on you, but, um, you know, he has this, he has this saying, default aggressive. So be default aggressive about things. And I think in sales, you, you kind of have to have that because, you know, you, uh, aggr- the aggression is always going to get you across the finish line a lot quicker than the path uh, is going to. But, um, that default aggression towards things, being proactive instead of reactive and not waiting until you take a loss to make a change. Let's find out what's going to work. Let's test it. Let's be iterative. Let's not be afraid to fail and move on to things that are going to succeed.
0: All right. Well, that takes us. That's a killer one. Uh, every single person should should be really. I love that. Be default aggressive. That's that's awesome advice. All right. So so the second one, um, leaders are readers. You know what we found is the, mm-hmm. the great leaders again. Your your whole thing be students. Whether it's audibles, whether it's blogs, whether it's books. I don't care what podcast. What should a, uh, a leader or one that aspires to be a leader, what should they be putting in their freaking dome? What should they be consuming? What should they be reading? Oh, man. What should they, you know, any suggestions?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so right off of the right off of the bat, my top three, I've already mentioned uh, one of them, cracking the sales management code. If you're in sales leadership or, or organizational leadership, period, read that. If you are a sales producer, read it. It'll <laughs> give you some real insight into what your management's trying to get you to do. So having that understanding from the ground up, May even help you lead upline and help your team facilitate those, those really, really positive changes. So, um, read that. The, the second, I, I mentioned Jocko Willink, his book, yeah. Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership are two absolute must reads for anyone in any industry and in any leadership role. Have to read those. Um, it should, it should be required reading for anybody going into leadership. Love the it. third, and, and I, I, I just went through it for, um, for the fourth time, at least the third time, might have been the fourth time. I read a lot of these over and over again. So. Um, is Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. And Multipliers, I actually, uh, I'll tell the fourth book. So uh, Sales Management Simplified, Mike Weinberg, listened to that many times, got the name of this book from there, listened to it, and it, it just totally set my mind off with things to do to be a better leader. Um, multipliers by Liz Wiseman is highly recommended from where I sit. Um, it really helps you understand the importance of developing the intelligence and the genius within your team for every single individual and some hmm. real strategies you can use to do that.
0: Uh, I do not have multipliers. I have not read it, so I'm going to put that in my cart today. And next time you see me, you have an onus to ask me uh, for a book report on that one, Adam.
1: I, I, I will. I will. I'll expect it to uh, three-page types, <laughs> 12, 12 New Roman, double state.
0: Hey, man, this was awesome. We went a little long, but I, I think that our our listeners will be appreciative that we did. Uh, I love it, man. There's no doubt why why you're doing, you're get, you're you're having so much success. You're gathering so much attention. Your brand is starting to blow up. How do our listeners get more of you? How do they find you? How do they learn more about repay? How do they get more about you? How do they get more of what you're putting down?
1: Absolutely, man. Um, and I really appreciate it, Rob. You you're you're definitely a driving force in helping out and helping me meet some awesome people, um, some like-minded people, and have some killer conversations. Can't thank you enough for that. Um, how you can get a hold of me? So repay. dot com is how you can learn more about this fantastic company um, and and some of the cool things that we're up to. If you want to get a hold of me directly, you can reach me by email at adclark at, re- at repay. Again, that's adclark at repay. dot com. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Adam Clark. I'm um, on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to reach out. I'm always up for some conversation and looking forward to hearing from folks.
0: All right, he's a rising star in the sales world. He's definitely someone you're going to want to keep your eye on because you're going to be seeing more, hearing more, and watching big things come. Uh, he's got a killer blueprint. Uh, he is absolutely default aggressive. Uh, my thanks go to you, Adam, for <laughs> joining us. Uh, and as always, my friend, happy selling.
1: Hey, thanks a lot, Rob. Talk to you soon.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves... Why did that conversation even matter? And I'm really, really excited that I was able to get Adam on this show. I think Adam is one of the rising stars in the sales profession. Um, I'm, I'm seeing him contribute to a lot of things. Uh, if you haven't read his recent article on Sales Hacker, give that a, a read. Uh, he's on some other great podcasts as well. Just got done speaking at the outreach conference. Good guy to follow. Good guy to start uh, watching. I think that you're going to see some big things coming out of Adam. And he's doing terrific things at Repay right now. But as I listened uh, to that uh, that conversation again, as I broke it down and I was looking for what we talk about on this, I, I I couldn't help but think about a recent story that happened with me. Our quarter just barely ended, end of um, April, at X Y, and we had a killer quarter, best quarter we've ever had. We 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 hit our goal, and I happened to have Doug Landis in the office as we watched these last deals come in, and we and we hit our goal, and I was celebrating uh, the victories, and, and, and Landis was watching me with a smile on his face. And he sat down at my desk and said, okay, what are you going to do to get better? How are you going to do better next quarter? And I was looking at him, and I'm like, yeah, that's the right question, man. What are you going to do to get better? How do you, without going and blowing up your model and, and uh, saying, I just got to get a whole bunch more people, how do you take what you've got and do more? And I thought that that was really, uh, insightful for Doug to ask me, but it's exactly how our conversation with Adam started today. The primary role of a sales leader, he said, and I'm going to quote him on this, do everything in their power day in and day out to make sure each rep is doing the best they can to be as sex, as successful as possible, as often as possible in every single activity they take on as part of their sales day. I'm telling you, that is it. It's not, am I going to hit my goal? It's not that at all. In fact, so our quarter ended, and a lot of other tech companies' quarter ended on Tuesday, um, and, and many hit it and many didn't. A very, very large company that I think pretty much every listener of the show would be aware of, uh, one part of their team, they missed their goal uh, by a pretty sizable amount on Tuesday. And there was a lot of discussions Wednesday and Thursday, and on Friday, that team called me. They gave me a call and um, said, hey, we missed by multiple millions, um, what should we be looking at? And it was very interesting to have them tell me the things they were looking at because most of it was, hey, how do we get these last couple of big deals that push to hit? Because if we just got these couple big ones, we probably hit our goal. And it was really interesting to me because I, I started asking some questions like, what percentage of your reps hit goal? And that wasn't one of their criteria. And I'd like to really piggyback off Adam's work with that. Our mission is to say, how do we help every single person on our team get predictably better? You know, what's your action plan to improve every rep by 10%? Back to the story for this company that called me, I, I shared with them. If everyone is in the hunt, uh, for, for the benefits of only small improvements, the collective improvement would have blown you past that miss. And so I'm going to quote my good, good friend, um, Jaco Vanderkooch, where he has said very publicly, if your industry is rainmaker resistant, do not be rainmaker dependent. And by that, what he means is customers are not looking to do big, massive deals. They're subscribing to technologies. They want to have, you know, smaller payments. They want to, they want to find ways to reduce barriers to getting into things. And so your customers are becoming uh, less big deal oriented. Yet many of our orgs are still hoping that the stars will si- shine so bright that everybody else will be kind of carried along. And so I think Adam was onto to something when he said that we need to do a better job of, of identifying the high-value activities. How clearly do we lay out that, that roadmap for what good looks like for every single rep? And, and I thought that was really great to listen to Adam talk about some of those things. And it all comes back to what do you think your role is? Are you able to very clearly show the individual what that individual's plan needs to be? His blueprint is killer, uh, you know, a number of things in there, that servant mentality, the student mentality, time blocking I thought was big, his thoughts on metrics are something you should go back and listen to. But if there's one thing you go back for, listen to him talk about ownership. The ownership part uh, was like my version of dirty talk. Too many times we just hope that that 20% of the reps will take us where we need to go. Again, to quote Jocko, Let's chase the 80% of our reps doing 80% of our business rather than 20% of our reps doing 80% of our business. And if you can help every single rep start to understand that that clear pathway, that well-lit pathway to success, you'll find that they get there faster than you ever thought. And it's that time right now. I mean, now is the time that we need to be making course adjustments um, find ways to make sure that your reps understand the value of even the smallest activities. It's not just work harder. It's work hard, but do it with purpose. Don't ask for more activities. Ask for more purpose to your activities. And what you'll find is your reps will appreciate that help. They will rally to your insight, and they will see you as a critical part of the team rather than just a scorekeeper who's managing the end result. Hope you liked Adam. I hope you uh, find ways to connect with him. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening to our show. Keep bringing those uh, those 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 uh, great reviews. And if you have people that you want us to put on the show, hit us up. But most important, as always, don't worry, just execute, and we got you.
1: Thanks for joining
0: us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and waymakers in sales make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.